Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. The scripture reading for this Sunday is Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the bird come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things in the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open in my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the middle of a series on Jesus' parables called Moral of the Story. And as we begin this uh, parable today, I want us to just remember what the kingdom of God is about. Many of these parables are about the kingdom of God, and, and that uh, can be a confusing concept for us. The kingdom of God uh, is, you can simply say, the kingdom of God is found wherever Jesus is king. Wherever Jesus, his, uh, his priorities his, his desires are reflected in this world. Wherever Jesus is king, that's where the kingdom of God breaks in. No, uh, Christian philosopher Dallas Willard, he explained this concept in Divine Conspiracy by saying these words, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. So whenever this world reflects God's will, there's the kingdom of God. And we are also given a promise that one day Jesus will return and we will have the culmination of his kingdom here in this world. Now, I know this is a complicated concept and I could spend more time explaining it, but Jesus, for whatever reason, he chose to explain the kingdom of God through stories, through pictures. So how about we, how about we do that? In our scripture reading today, we found these two different word pictures and Jesus is trying to explain and depict the kingdom of God one was mustard seeds and the other was yeast. At this time, if the ushers could come forward, I'd actually want us to, to, to physically touch and see uh, the size of these seeds. I think it would be helpful for us. So for the mustard seed, this is not the smallest seed in the world, but it would be the smallest seed that they probably knew of in their life. So when Jesus was speaking this, this story uh, to people in Galilee, they knew what a mustard seed was. And so they, they know that what Jesus was doing is lifting up the small seed and saying, this is the kingdom of God. And likewise, Jesus chose yeast. Yeast to talk about this is the kingdom of God is how yeast is worked into dough, causing it to rise when it's baked. And it's really interesting to me, out of all the different things that Jesus could have used to describe the kingdom of God, he chose these. Wouldn't you expect the kingdom of God to be explained with much more grandiose terms? So how about something bigger? When uh, Ted and I decided to plant a church, we went to this church planners conference for our denomination, the Covenant Church. And part of the process for this uh, experience was, is we had to get in, front, get in front of our peers and tell them, everyone, our church's mission statement, our vision statement, some of the measurables that we had, some benchmarks we had for our church plant. And as you could, might imagine, 
you would have these fired up church planners get up and take turns sharing their grand vision. Like, the, like our church plan is going to start a catalytic movement to radically transform this world. And then the next church planner would get up and practice their spiel. And not to be outdone with zeal and with power. And that's all good. But for me, I was seeing this happen and I thought to myself, I bet Jesus would be an awful church planner by these standards. Really. Like, just think about, okay, Jesus, when it, all right, your turn. Come on up here. All right, so what's your vision? My vision is to be like a mustard seed. Okay, but what's, what's the mission? What's, what's, give, give us a picture of what it'll look like. A small tree with nests that birds can use. And they kind of look around and go, really, is that it? Don't you have something better, Jesus? Sure, yeast. I doubt that Jesus would have made it long in that room. I think that they would have probably gone with a different church plan. Or why isn't the kingdom of God something bigger, something more powerful? And as odd as this picture of the kingdom of God might sound to us, I promise you it was doubly odd for the original audience. For those original hearers, they knew what they were waiting for with the kingdom of God. They knew it. The kingdom of God would break into this world when there'd be a new ruler sent by God to overthrow the rulers of this world. They would destroy the kingdom of Rome. They would free us. And then, then through God's blessing, everyone would look at Israel and they would see, man, this is the kingdom of God and everyone would want in. But instead, Jesus chose the mustard seed. He chose yeast. And though the world was looking for something big and powerful, Jesus blessed the insignificant, small beginnings, the unimpressive things. I don't think Jesus would be only an unlikely choice for a church planner. I think he was an unlikely choice for a Messiah. I think they weren't looking for him. If you were to create a strategy for how the Son of God could to spend 33 years on this world to transform this world, what would you do? If you were to sit down and have a pad of paper and say, okay, all right, let's say if Jesus were to be here only for 33 years, what would I do? What would be my plan for transforming this world? Whatever it would be, I bet it's probably not what Jesus chose. Jesus chose the, the way of the mustard seed, the way of the yeast. I was moved by the way that a Baptist pastor, James Allen Francis, he described Jesus' life in a sermon in 1926, and he shared an odd strategy that Jesus had for, for transforming this world in a, in a sermon called One Solitary Life. It's, I want to share a little bit of it. It's a long quote, so get comfortable. I promise I'll try to read it with energy. But close your eyes, if you would, and, and consider these words. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, never held an office, never owned a home, never had a family, never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. 
He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. And while still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth. And while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all of the armies that have ever marched and all of the navies that were ever built and all of the parliaments that ever sat, all of the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of a man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Don't you love that? That one solitary life. That one seed. And this world's been changed forever. You see, Jesus planted the gospel in the garden and let it grow slowly. He went into this world with the gospel and worked it through like leaven and dough until all of the world would be transformed through his presence and experience God's goodness. I would suggest that these two uh, parables, uh, this, these two parables have two main purposes. One was first to explain Jesus' unlikely plan to transform this world 2,000 years ago. But I think secondly, the purpose of this parable was to not let you and I off the hook. Was to show us that if Jesus chose the unlikely, insignificant things in this world to display the power of the good news of Jesus, then we might need to consider that as well in our life. That might the kingdom still be as small as a mustard seed. Jesus might want for you even today to look at the mustard seed in your hand. To look, look at it. Go ahead and look at it as small as it is. And for us to consider in our own life the seeds of potential. And isn't it interesting that you might have already lost it? Who already lost their seed? It's so sad, so sad. But these are the seeds of potential that God has given you. It could be a dream, could be a calling, could be gifts that God's given you, it could be a compassion. Inside of you, it could be an opportunity set before you. And something's interesting. This seed will remain a seed until you do something with it. This mustard plant could grow to be six feet in high or as high as 20 feet in height and have a spread of 20 feet wide. But it's still a seed unless it is what? Planted, surrendered, released. Unless it's given in this world. It has to be scattered. And I think sometimes in our life, one of the biggest deterrents for us to, to release the seeds in our, in our life, to actually do the courageous thing of using it, is because we feel so small. It's a common deterrent. We still expect God to, the kingdom of God to emerge from the big things in this world, the powerful, the gifted, the influential. And we might say, not me, 
My faith is too small. My courage is too small. I don't know enough of the Bible. I have too little experience. I have too little influence. Maybe God could use someone with more scripture memory, who prays more, who's gotten through that breakthrough, who has less regrets, who has less baggage, not me and not this little bitty mustard seed. But this parable teaches us to think differently. It's not the size of the seed that matters. It's the faithfulness of the one who put the seed in your hand. That is what matters. And that is how the kingdom breaks into this world. Would you guys like to hear an example of how a single solitary seed can make a big difference? I want to invite my friend Brooke to come up here. Will you all welcome Brooke, please? Hi, Brooke. Well, Brooke has been my friend for, we were trying to figure this out. It's been a while, 14 years or so. One of my best friends is Brooke's uh, younger brother. And uh, so we've gotten to know each other. I think the first time we hung out was his, uh, his rehearsal dinner, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so, but Brooke is here also because um, she and a group of people started this ministry called The Refuge. And so we wanted to, to use this as an example uh, not only to highlight this awesome ministry, but also for us to consider how the kingdom breaks in uh, through seeds in our life. So uh, God gave you an area of compassion years ago. Would you share about that experience? Yes, I will. Um, well, I was in seminary, Asbury Theological Seminary, working on a master's degree, and saw a video of little girls that were being rescued out of a brothel in India. And at that time, um, my daughter was six years old. And um, I just uh, could not believe that this would be any young girl's life. And, um, and so I, my heart broke, really, just sat there weeping. And um, from that point on, I think that uh, God made it very clear that whatever I did for the rest of my life, uh, I wanted to be responding to the fact that children were being trafficked for mm. sex. And... Um, that was the beginning of uh, an adventure. Yeah. But the Lord actually uh, drew your life towards uh, another experience. Because uh, that wasn't the only experience you had. That What was the next chapter that the Lord brought to you? Well, the next chapter was uh, moving from Kentucky to Costa Rica. Yeah. And while there, um, finding out that children were being trafficked there in huge numbers... Originally, just went there for language school, and um, but while there, I began to work with girls that were being trafficked. And um, but at that same time, as I looked back into my home country, I began learning that this was going on in the United States in even greater numbers. And um, again, my heart broke that this was happening to our children in my home country. And so. When I moved back to um, the United States, actually moved to Austin, had never lived here and began just talking to people around the city, who's doing what to help these children? And that led me to meet with a family um, who had heard I was asking these questions. And we sat down um, in a coffee shop one day and uh, over a two hour conversation, um, he asked me if you could do anything to help these children, what would you do? And I shared the vision of a place that was outside of Austin or outside of a city, beautiful, uh, safe, 
in a place where the children could rest and get all the services they need. And basically he said, would you like 50 acres to build that place? And that was the catalyst to start the refuge. Hmm. So for me, I'm thinking about it in the context of this parable, God gave you a seed years before that, didn't give you a plan, just gave you a sense of compassion. Sometimes that's how God gives us a seed, is not through a vision of what we're going to do, but something that's breaking our heart and the calling to do something about it. But you, it wasn't like a clear plan or anything? God didn't give you a binder? As a matter of fact, every step of the way, nothing made sense. <laughs> and um, every step of the way, I was uh, asking God to um, make it clear, and he never did. <laughs> and... Um, and frankly, when I was at the point of asking around Austin who could do what, people started saying, why don't you do yeah. something? And um, I was not at a place in my life that I could. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I really struggled with that. But um, I think that um, I, I knew I loved the Lord. I loved Jesus enough to know I didn't want to disappoint him. And I revered him or maybe feared him enough to know that I didn't want to say no when he made it clear. Hmm. And when someone drops 50 acres into your lap, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a pretty clear sign that God's doing something. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be a part of it, you can say yes. And, yeah. Um, so yeah. that's really um, what happened. So would you share, um, would you share a little bit? Because I think you and I have talked enough where I've, I have to rewind our, our many conversations about this years back, because at one point, I too, like many of us, thought this is a problem overseas, this is a problem not in our backyard. Could you just give, a, give us a picture of how this is, a, this is a local issue as well as a global issue? Right, it is. A, the, most people do think that we're talking about children that are maybe brought from other countries into our country, but this is actually going on um, around the corner, in our schools, in our, in our shopping malls, um, with girls that are born and raised here in the United States. Um, these are our children that our children are going to school with. And the reason it's so prevalent is because we have two things converging at one time. We have um, social media that is available to any 11 and 12 year old girl, right? If you have a smartphone, um, your child is at risk. And secondly, um, we just have an escalation of, um, frankly, pornography and sexual perversion and a lack of really standing up and saying, wait a second, highly sexualizing our children at such a young age has severe consequences. And so, so often these girls and these boys don't see what's happening. They're being lured in through social media and before they know it, they are caught in a situation where they're being exploited. And it looks different for, of course, many different reasons, but a very common scenario that we're hearing, um, and I'm gonna share this here today because I think it might um, apply to a lot of our social situations, and that is is that um, a young girl um, is at a party. Uh, she is, um, with, she has met up with some friends, many of whom she just knows through you know, Snapchat and Facebook and some of those people have shown up at her youth group and her school sports and they're, they're familiar faces but they don't really know each other because the way they know each other is primarily through social media. 
And so uh, at some point in time, these people that are friends, but really out, actually out to exploit um, a vulnerability, will um, use, a, use a situation to um, uh, either then abduct her and take her to another part of the state where she could be held and trafficked. Or sometimes what happens is um, girls get into a situation where they're asked to compromise by sending a nude picture or something like that. And from that point on, a trafficker often exploits and manipulates and blackmails. And it's not uncommon for us to hear about girls that are actually being trafficked right under their parents' noses while they're still living at home. Mm. Um, so we also have just vulnerable youth in our foster care system that are often um, go missing and they're usually in the hands of a trafficker and um, not, no one's out looking for them a lot of times. Mm. The numbers are shocking. Um, a UT school, um, social, school of social work study came out two years ago that um, determined there are 79,000 youth and young adults in our state alone that are currently being trafficked. So that's 25 and younger. And um, from what we know from the girls that we're working with in detention centers right now, and girls that we meet in homeless shelters and the phone calls that we get from families, uh, that number does not surprise us. Um, so, um, yeah, it's okay for us to sit with that for a little bit. So 79,000 of our own. Not that it matters, it's our own, but there are people here in our community. Someone, even before we, we gathered in prayer, uh, uh, before the worship service, and someone actually met a young woman who just recently uh, got out of trafficking, a 19-year-old. So it's all around us. It is all around us. Okay, so... Um, would you share about the refuge, what the re where the refuge is now? Because um, I know, like, again, we've been walking this journey. I loved at one point, it was just like scribbles on a paper of, like, what the, this ranch could be and could do. And uh, here we are with God's faithfulness. Could you just talk about where we are now and, and what the plan is for the refuge? Sure. Before I tell you where we are now, though, it is, um, it was... I like to say that we have a miracle a day at the refuge because we really do. It's a, it's a place that God has truly built and he's built it by the faithfulness of so many people in our community. And um, just, I, if I could, I'd like to yeah. just share a recent example of that for God's glory. Um, but um, we have been building the refuge. We broke ground in fall of 2016 and uh, our vision has always been to care for up to 44 girls in small cottages of four girls to a cottage with house parents, and all the services are on site. So a UT charter school, a medical clinic, equine therapy, just lots of different um, opportunities for relational entry points with girls while they heal. And um, it's costly. Hmm. And um, when when the refuge started, uh, we were a new nonprofit with a vision to do something that was from God, and um, we really knew that we had a, a huge mountain to climb, if you will, um, to educate a community that these are our children, and to have the community own the fact that this refuge needed to be built, and built by the community. Um, and so, uh, as we have 
built and we've only built as God has provided the resources to build. And um, that's been a huge faith journey for me. But in the, moving into 2018, we actually uh, had a lot of momentum with uh, finances to what looked like be able to finish the entire property, about 6.5 million build out. Um, we've had over 2 million in in-kind donations from the builder community. But in late June, um, it became clear that we weren't gonna be able to finish all of the construction. We needed to reserve funds for operations. And so I had to make the hard decision to um, say, okay, we're gonna have to wrap up and not build all the cottages right now. And I think I cried for a week. Mm. <laughs> um, I was really, again, just upset. I felt, I was confused. I was like, God, I know that this is your vision. You've provided everything we need. You could release all the resources now. We could build this entire thing, but um, he made it clear we were supposed to wrap it up. So that's what we were doing. And um, just this week, we, were, uh, we got a call one night, and this family wanted to come out the next day to see the refuge. And um, I'd never met this family. And um, as we were walking through, um, the gentleman saw these other cottages that we were kind of just deciding to you know, make ready later. And um, I shared that with him, and he began to cry. And, um, and he pulled me aside and he said, I'm gonna wire you the money this afternoon mm. uh, so you can finish all those cottages. Mm. And um, I, I knew that the tears that I had been crying two weeks prior were the same tears that the Lord placed in his heart mm. to shed. And, um, and I think that uh, God gives us the opportunity to obey and then to do something beyond what we can even imagine. Yeah and also to invite other people in. And had I not decided to stop construction, um, perhaps I never would have shared that. Um, but in turn, uh, this new family has been invited in to what God is doing, and uh, I know that they feel blessed as well. That's awesome. All right, so you guys are planning on having these, uh, these 40, how many? 44? Once we're at capacity, 44. So we're going to begin small. We uh, actually will take our first two girls. We already uh, have identified who they are, two 14-year-old girls that have been trafficked and are now out of that situation and are waiting to come to the refuge, and they will arrive on August 20th. And um, so we're very excited, and uh, we will ramp up over this next year as we finish out building the cottages and getting house parents and um, growing our staff, and um, yeah, we're very excited. Amen. Okay, so uh, to turn, turn the conversation a little bit, could you share, you've walked with your seed. You, you planted it. God's been faithful to grow it. Um, there might be someone sitting in this room as they look at their mustard seed or they imagine that their mustard seed because they've already lost it. Um, where they know that they have a sense of call or a dream or a passion that they've been holding on to for a while. If you were to give them advice, uh, what would you share with them? I think my advice would be that um, God is a good and faithful God. And oftentimes we don't feel that way. Nothing makes sense in our lives. But um, if we just open our hands and our lives for the time that we're here on earth, 
to say, my life is in your hands. Whatever your purpose is and my sphere of influence, um, say yes to it. Um, it won't make sense and it'll be scary, but um, you'll miss out on the blessing of getting to do, be something that only God can get the glory for. And, um, and in God's economy, your faithfulness and obedience blesses everyone around you and even more, more than you can imagine. Will you thank Brooke, please? Man, it, it, there's something, though. I just, I love being a part of the body of Christ where God gives each of us compassion, each of us gifts, each of us the abilities to, to see God's kingdom move forward. And my guess is, is if you were to ask Brooke years and years and years ago, if God had planted that seed in her hand, put it in her hand, if she would be here, you know, weeks away from this happening, she probably would have doubted it. And yet, God gave her a seed. It didn't give her a plan. It reminds me that one time this uh, person came up to Mother Teresa and said, I need, I need a prayer. I need you to pray for me. And she said, what can I pray for you? And she said, I need clarity. And she said, I will not pray for clarity. I will pray for faith, the ability to take the next step. So for each of us, we might, we might be waiting for clarity. We might be waiting for the plan. We might be waiting for more courage. Maybe God's saying, Maybe this mustard seed's enough. Maybe insignificant, unimpressive beginnings slowly over time can transform this world, can have the kingdom break into this world. And what's important for me with both of these word pictures that Jesus chose, in both of them, there's the end picture of God's kingdom. The end goal for that seed that you have is not merely that it becomes a tree, but if you remember this, it ends with so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. The goal of the kingdom is not just for the seeds to flourish, but is to provide a refuge. It's to, to change the ecosystem because it's there. That's the kingdom of God. The end goal for this yeast is not just to merely affect the 60 pounds of dough, but 60 pounds of dough, can that's enough food for 100 people. That's, that provides a feast. And this is how it is with the kingdom of God. It never ends with you. It never ends with me, but the kingdom of God empowers us. It gives us the ability to bless many, to impact other people. So I want to end by just asking you the very, very, very simple question, but the, maybe the hardest question for you right now, which is, what is the seed that God has given? It might not look what, like what Brooke is doing. Maybe it's something completely different. But maybe it's some, something that seems as insignificant as providing a shower curtain so that a, a girl can take a shower and, with dignity and feeling safe. Or maybe it's a, a small seed that feels like sponsoring a child through Africa New Life. It's just a mustard seed. Maybe when a nurse goes into a hospital room out of care and not out of duty, not of obligation, a small mustard seed. Maybe it's to build a habit of praying with a friend weekly or the habit of praying with a spouse or with your children, just a mustard seed. Maybe giving an hour to help someone in need, the food pantry around the corner from your house, the elderly neighbor who's shut in, just a mustard seed. 
Maybe it's serving inviting kids. Seems like a mustard seed, seems small. But the challenge for us is not to be limited by the smallness of these things, but to see the potential of these things in God's hand. Because what we don't realize is slowly over time, like yeast working through dough, these small things change others. It changes our environment. A seed grows into a tree. God loves to use the small things, yes, you, in his kingdom. The habit of praying with your child slowly but slowly, you're teaching them to commune with God, to listen and to hear to God. The sponsorship through the Africa New Life transforms a child's life. He or she won't be the same. That one hour a week that you go visit your elderly neighbor might be the only hour of light and purpose and, and hope that they have in their week. The, the kingdom of God breaks in to their darkness maybe volunteering at Vine Kids, you're scattering the seeds of God's kingdom into their hearts and their lives. What is the seed that God's given you today? The opportunity, the possibility, although small. I wonder how God sees this church. The forest of possibilities. The feast that could feed many. Don't let any smallness hold you back from experiencing the goodness of God's kingdom. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for using the small things, for even for using people like us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would never let our smallness be an excuse to playing it humble, humble in a way that we doubt ourselves, humble in a way that we don't step forward. I pray, God, for a humility in our church, in our community that's marked by courage, a willingness to step forward and say yes. And just like we heard earlier, I pray, God, uh, for faith. I don't, I don't pray for clarity. I pray for faith. I know that you long for us to take one more step. And so I pray, Jesus, on this evening that you would teach us the opportunity, the seed that you put in our hand, the calling, the compassion, the gift, the opportunity. Will you show that to us even now in this silence?